Good morning, Eastside family. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Christy already mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again because some folks at Grace Bible Church are going to be getting up for Sunday school class, and they may not be able to leave if my sermon goes long and you stay in here. So it snowed, and we had a hard time perhaps noticing the lines in the parking lot. There's some folks that are parked over here, and we got three in a row. So the folks in the middle are not going to get to lunch on time. If you have a beige Jeep commander, I can't read my writing, a blue Dodge Stratus, or a black Honda Accord, there's some people that would be delighted if you would move your cars. Only three of you get permission to leave right now. So anyway, y'all close your eyes so we won't see who it is, all right? I'm thinking it's probably folks with other church. That could be it, perhaps. So next Sunday, next Sunday is, is um, the day before Martin Luther King Day. It's a special day when we, we remember, a special day when we celebrate the incredible strides forward that have happened in our nation and our churches as far as the aspects of racial struggles and conflicts and discrimination. And so we're going to have on the day before that, on next this Sunday, we're going to have, I'm going to have four other, five other people up here with me. We're going to have a panel and we're going to seek to, to really talk about and, and to go through God's word. How are we doing that area and what does it mean as a follower of Jesus for us to, to really... Um, to, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in that conflict and those issues? So I want to encourage you to come and, and be a part of that. But for today, we're going to continue in our series that we started last week. It's a series that it's going to be, I'm not sure exactly how many Sundays I'm prolonging it because I'm trying not to make a whole bunch of long sermons and so making shorter sermons that will actually stretch out a little bit longer perhaps. I've entitled it Not So Mere Christianity. And as I, as I uh, shared with you last week in the introductory lesson to this series, it's kind of a play, or it's, no, it's not kind of, it is a play off C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, which doesn't attempt to tell us something new and novel about the Christian faith, but he reminds us of the basic, simple, and foundational truths of our Christian faith. He reminds us of, of mere Christianity. Now, I'm not going to go through his book, that's not my intention, but I want to present to you what I believe to be another version of mere Christianity as is found here in Acts chapter 2. If I didn't say it, please turn your Bibles here. Acts 2, 1 is going to be our, our primary verse I'm going to look at this morning. Here in Acts chapter 2, we find a presentation of the simple, concise, core truths of the Christian faith, which while on one hand... They could be viewed as, as mere Christianity. On the other hand, it's not so mere at all because what we see here is, is, is enormous. It's, it's, trans, it's, it's, it's explosive in its ability to create faith and transformative change in our lives. And the purpose of this series, as I shared with you last week, is twofold. First of all, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Him, it's to, it's to inspire us and equip us in our mission, which is to make disciples of all nations, to, to inspire us and equip us to be a people who follow Jesus in seeking and saving the lost, to be a people who are sharing the gospel, the story of Jesus with others, 
Not because simply I want you to know this story, but for helping people enter into a saving relationship with Jesus. That's the first purpose. It's my responsibility not to do all the work here, but to equip all of us to join together in that work. So that's what I'm doing in this series. But secondly, I know there's some of you sitting out there, you're new at this. And the whole idea of Jesus and the Bible, this is something that you're not very familiar with, but we're glad you're here and we're praying for you. And this series is to inspire you with this incredible life-changing story that you will make a decision. I, I want to be a follower of Jesus as well. I, I know there's a lot of places I could go to, but I know of no better place in the Bible that gives us a condensed version of, of the gospel of Jesus' story in order to help a person come to faith or in order to equip us to help people in that direction. It's an incredible story on, on, on this day that we read about and we're going to work through this chapter, not all of it today. There's a, you would call it a revival. It's a, it's a movement of God's Spirit so much so that at the end of the story we see that it says about 3,000 people made a decision to give their lives fully to Jesus and they, they feel, fulfilled that decision through being baptized and, and you read that story and you say, oh God, could you do something like that here among us today? And you read that and you go, what, what happened there? What is it that they did? What is it that God did? What can we do to, to position ourselves in such a way that God's Spirit would work among us today as He did then? So I want us to answer that question. What did they do? And what did God do? And you see this, this, this partnership of God working with and through these followers of Jesus to carry out His mission. Now, originally, all I wanted to do was look at the second half of chapter 2. That's where we find what was said. And we're going to look at that. That's the core of the message of Jesus. We're going to look at that in, in, in two or three weeks from now. But there is, prior to that, what you might call four components, or I might call them four props, in setting the stage for the explosive um, power of the proclamation of the gospel and so I want us to spend time looking at how the stage was set in the first half of this chapter before we look at the message in the second half and as a matter of fact as I was working on this this week I decided we're only going to look at one of these components today one of the reasons because of time constraint but another reason is I am convinced that if we get this and if we devote ourselves to this and God will do incredible things in our lives and in this church. And all the rest of these pieces will fall into place. I only have one thing I want to talk to you about today and try to inspire you towards today. So you shouldn't leave very uh, confused. But I may say it now in a confusing way. A crucial component or one of the crucial props in setting the, the, the stage to engage the explosive power of the gospel of not-so-mere Christianity or not so mere prayers. Sometimes I hear people critically say of Christians, your trite and simple answer to everything is just, just to merely pray. Whatever it is, just pray. That solves everything. Let me tell you, there's something not so mere that occurs when God's people merely pray. 
I want to show you that here in the book of Acts this morning. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we read, when the day of Pentecost came. This is, the, this is the verse that's entering us into this story. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And you go, wow, what's the big deal about that? Well, let's think about this for a minute. What do you suppose they were doing as they were all gathered together in this one place? Well, if the verses leading up to this passage are any indication, we know what they were doing. You back up in Acts chapter 1 and we read that Jesus said to his followers... Before he ascended, he says, I don't want you guys to go anywhere. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. And I want you to wait there for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But what you'll notice is they weren't just waiting and saying, God, would you do something? Notice what they were doing. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. This is the primary verse I want you to see. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When you you close your eyes... And you envision that gathering. What do you see? Do you see someone praying a meal at a table before prayer? That's a good thing. Do you see them sitting in a simile like this and and some man standing here at the pulpit and saying an opening or a closing prayer? I see more than that. I see men and women together crying out to God, lifting up their voices to Him in fervent prayer. And as a result, chapter 2, verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I would recommend the book to you written by Jim Cimbala, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. It's a beautiful story as he tells of going into this little bitty church, I believe it was in Manhattan, New York, and how God changed that church And he changed the whole community there where that church was when the members of that small church community merely devoted themselves to prayer. This is a theme throughout the the whole book of Acts. You see this powerful correlation between God's people praying and the Holy Spirit empowering them in incredible ways. I just want to show you some of the examples. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it's a very familiar passage. We find that the Christians were devoted to prayer. And as a result, in the very next verse, it says God worked among them miraculously. In verse 47, it says, and God added to their number. They were growing. Incredible, miraculous things were happening in their midst. Why? Because they were devoted to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, we find the church gathered again. And it says in verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is this beautiful, powerful prayer. And at the, end of, at the end of the prayer, it says in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting 
was shaken. Every, every time I read this verse, I am reminded of when we had a, um, in the Czech Republic where we lived for many years and worked, we had a ministry center. It was on the fifth floor of, of this huge, old, old building. No elevators. And if you wanted to study the Bible with us, you had to really be serious because it, it was a good walk up to the fifth floor. And the tram lines would run right in front of the building. And every time a tram, kind of like a trolley, a big train-like thing, I guess we'd, we'd call it here. We actually have them in Denver. And they would, the tram lines would come in front of the building. And we'd be on the fifth floor. And every time a tram would come by, the building would shake. And sometimes I'd be up there with a group of people and we would be praying and the building would shake. That was a tram. This, something happened and God's people prayed. The building was shaken. And look at this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And you see that again and again. I don't even have time to go through all the stories. I do want to give you one of them. Another one here is in Acts chapter 10. It's this incredible story of a guy named Cornelius. And we just see this man and his whole household. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. At the end of the story, they come to faith. They're baptized into Jesus. And you go, what in the world set the stage for such an amazing occurrence in this family's life? Well, first of all, we see what Cornelius was doing. If you're here and you're going, you know, I'm new at this. I'm looking, I'm seeking, I'm not sure what to do. Look at the example of this man, chapter 10 and verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Listen, if you're looking for God, if you're seeking him, devote yourself to prayer and say, God, where are you? God hears those prayers. He heard this prayer and he says, Cornelius, there's somebody I want you to meet. And in the meanwhile, we get this other guy. He's a follower of Jesus, and his name is Peter. It says of him, notice what he's doing. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And while he's praying, God says, Peter, there's someone over here. We're going to talk about that in in a couple of weeks, how these people that we just so happen to meet may not be people that we just so happen to be beating. It could be God bringing us together. That's what happened. God brought Cornelius and Peter together. Cornelius and his family were listening to the message of the gospel. It says the Holy Spirit descended upon them in power and they were all baptized into Christ. And it all started because two individuals devoted themselves merely to prayer. Mere prayers which weren't so mere. Chapter 12 and verse 5, when Peter was in prison, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You just see it constantly. They're devoted to prayer. In Acts chapter 13, there's this powerful story of the church in Antioch. It was from this church and from this moment as you read the rest of the book of Acts that God changed the world, their known world. It was from this story that, that he, sent out, he sent out disciples of Jesus who went out and, and just brought to faith multiple thousands of people to Christ. 
and churches all over their known world were planted. And you think, what triggered that? How could that happen here if it happened in Antioch? Notice in chapter 13 and verse 1, we'll see what triggered that event. In the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, that's basically prayer on steroids. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, listen, Every time you see prayer in the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit engaging in those people's lives powerfully. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The Holy Spirit gave them a vision of mission outreach. He empowered them to carry it out. And it simply started when God's people merely were praying. And so you you read this story of the disciples of Jesus going out. And there's a story after story. I'm just counting a couple more here. In Acts chapter 13, we see this story of of, uh, in, in the city of Philippi. This woman Lydia, again, and her whole household. They come to faith and are baptized into Christ. Prior to that, what do we see happening among God's people? We see the followers of Jesus had gone out to a place to pray. A few, a few verses later, we find this incredible story of, of a jailer. And if you follow the story chronologically, it's about two or three in the morning when he and his whole household came to faith in Jesus Christ and were baptized into faith. How in the world did that happen? Back up a couple hours in verse 25 at midnight of chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. Again, the building shook when God's people were praying. And then you see this jailer shook after God's people had been praying. And he gave his life to Christ. Mere prayers, which aren't so mere. I don't have time to cover all of the examples in the book of Acts, but I think the point is clear, and I'll make it like this. The degree to which you pray will be the degree to which God's Spirit will empower you to bring Jesus into the hearts and lives of others. That's clear in the book of Acts. The degree to which we as a church devote ourselves to prayer will be the degree to which God's Spirit will fill us and use us as His instruments to lead others into a saving relationship with Jesus. Listen, if your life is not devoted to bringing others to Christ, it's likely indicative that your life is not devoted to prayer. They just, in the Scripture, go hand in hand. I'll always remember when I I learned this, not simply from the book of Acts, but I learned it by experience. I was was a junior in in Harding University, and God had so incredibly changed my life about three or four years earlier that I said, that's it, I want to devote the rest of my life to serving God and helping people know Christ. And so I went to school, and I spent three years uh, in in studying to, to prepare for ministry. And all of a sudden, I realized something. I, I, all of a sudden, I became very convicted that 
I was busy studying about ministry. I was busy doing all kinds of ministry things. I was driving out to Griffithville, Louisiana, preaching a sermon, getting $20 every Sunday for that sermon. But I wasn't really reaching out and sharing Christ with those who don't know him. And I thought, well, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. That's just what I'm supposed to be doing. And so, I remember in Harbin Dorm, the, uh, at the time, I don't know now, it was the athletic dorm, kneeling in my dorm room and saying, God, I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm, and this is not just because I'm in ministry studying, but it should be any of this. I'm a follower of yours. I've devoted myself to, to walking after the footsteps of Jesus, but I, I'm not seeking and saving the lost. That's just not, that's just not me. And honestly, Lord, I'm a little bit intimidated by that. Honestly, Lord, I, there's part of me that's fearful of that. Honestly, Lord, I don't know what to say or how to do this. I'm really new at this. That was my prayer. The next day, the next day, I'm not making this up for a good sermon illustration. The next day, Melvin Caldwell knocked. You know, we're supposed to go door knocking. He came door knocking. Melvin Caldwell knocked on my door. He played baseball. He had a scholarship for the baseball team at Harding. He was from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I remember Melvin so well. And Melvin said to me, Eddie, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. We began to talk. And he wanted to talk to me about Christian faith. He had so many questions. And a few days later, he was baptized into Christ. Four or five or, I don't know, maybe a week later... A friend of mine who was like four or five rooms down. His name was, I don't remember his last name. His name was Tad. He had a scholarship playing football at Harding. He said, Eddie, can we talk? He had a lot of questions about Jesus and scripture and faith. About three or four weeks later, he was baptized in Christ. And I was shocked. I was sitting there going, how did, how did that happen? And, and I, my pride wants to take credit for that. All I did was pray. I said, God, I'm open to this, but I'm not good at it. And they came knocking on my door. So so one of my dearest, I have so many dearest friends. Um, Karen, I love Maria Yanetskova. She's Czech and and like one of the easiest people in the world to ever study with and, and lead to Christ. She was just like Lydia or Cornelius, just like, I'm here, whatever you got to say, I'm open. So we studied with, with Maria. She's in her mm, mid-30s. She becomes a Christian. She's a very active part of our church. She says, listen, my husband is not into it. You understand, in this country, 75% of the people do not, uh, do not believe in God. It's the second most non-religious country in the world, and he's one of these people. His name is Bohoslav. We called him Bob, much easier. And she said, he's never, Bob is never going to come to church, Eddie. He's not into it. Just don't even expect it. But we had Bob over for lunch with Maria and, and, and their two children. They had us over for lunch. We kind of started a friendship. And I think he started coming to church with her, not because he was interested, but out of guilt that his wife was going, I guess I got to go with her. So he started coming to church. And one time after church, I said, do you want to study with us, Bob? And, said, and I think he did because we were friends. He didn't want to hurt my feelings. And so, so every week... In the evenings after we got off work, we would meet at our house around the kitchen table and we would study about Jesus with Bob and Maria. And, and Bob was dug in, just filled with, filled with intellectual pride and refused to, to, to accept or go along. But he was just nice and coming along. And, and I was at a point where I think I'm done with Bob. 
We've been doing this for over a year. He's not receptive. He's not open to, 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 um, to giving his life to the Lord. But there was a time when our church decided, not because of Bob, but we decided this is the right thing to do. We had a, a week of prayer. A whole week we divided. We said, okay, look, on morning, noon, and night, we're all going to get together who's able to, and we're just going to pray in our ministry center. And then we had a day of 24-hour prayer vigil. Everybody signed up for a time of prayer. And then we had one of those days of, of prayer and fasting. And at the end of that prayer week, Bob called me up and he said, Eddie, listen. He said, um, could you and Karen get with me and, and, and Maria in the morning when the sun's rising? so that you can baptize me at the Berno Lake. And I thought, wow, after all this incredible push and effort, after we prayed, that made the difference. The degree to which you pray will be the degree to which God's Spirit will enable you and empower you and speak through you to be a follower of His, to lead others into a, a relationship with Him. And so I'm thinking, what can I do to, what can I say to us to help move us in a greater way? We need to move in this direction in a greater way, especially at the beginning of the year. Perhaps if nothing else today that you hear from me is a call to prayer. Do it not just a simply one prayer here and that's done, but a daily, fervent, devoted, consistent, constant, whatever word you want to use of God, here I am. I don't know how to do this. I'm really new at this, but I want to be used by you. So I, I want to teach you a prayer. I didn't look in the bulletin. I'm assuming those prayers are there. This is an old-fashioned prayer I learned a long time ago. This is not a song you're going to hear at Red Rocks by some heavy metal Christian band. This, I told you, I'm not teaching you new and cool and trendy things. We're looking back at some basics, and if there's something basic, this song is one of them. I learned this in New Orleans years ago when I was, uh, I was cutting my teeth and doing what I'm doing now. I, I, I was, uh, got a job as a ministry intern in Laplace, Louisiana, if there's a Cajun place in the world, Laplace is the Cajun place. I'd never heard of crawfish until I moved here. It was an incredible experience by the Mississippi River. And, and so there was one week where about eight to ten of us stayed in a hotel in New Orleans and we worked at the World's Fair. And we had a booth there. There were like thousands and thousands of people that were coming every, um, every day to the World's Fair. And our goal was to kind of do a ministry outreach to people at the World's Fair. And every morning as we left the hotel and our bus driver, our van driver, took us to the downtown New Orleans for the World's Fair, he says, let's pray this song together. And we did. And I want to teach it to you this morning. And then you'll realize why I'm not on the praise team. <laughs> um, let, me, let me go through the words with you first of all. Lead me to some soul today. I'm going to show you that later how God actually does that. People you meet this week may not just be random meetings. It could be God bringing you together for a purpose. Let's ask God to do that. Now you may already have some people in mind and mention their names that part. Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me, Lord, just what to say. You feel like, Lord, I don't know what to say. I'm clueless. Now, later on, I'm going to share with you what God teaches us to say right here 
in this section of Scripture. Later on, I'm going to show you how the Holy Spirit actually will give you words in the moment to say, if you're not certain what to say, but pray, Lord, lead me to someone, and I don't know what to do, but teach me what to say. Friends of mine, third portion of this song, are lost in sin and cannot find their way. It's huge. We're losing this thought in, in church life. The idea is it's really not, it's really not trendy, it, it, not simply in our world, but even in, in the church world, that there could actually be people lost. It, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a doctrine or theology, a truth that's becoming lost. And I think it's because we want to be so not old time, we're the only ones going to heaven. So now no one is lost. Everybody's going to heaven. We want not to be intolerant. We want to be loving. We want to be inclusive. We want to be so accepting that the thought to say or think that someone could be lost is just not something we want to think or say. But it's a reality. And we need to bring that reality back into view so that we can be active in bringing Jesus to these people. Lead me to some soul today. Teach me, Lord, just what to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. The next section, few there are who seem to care and few there are who praise. Big challenge. It's like people are interested, it seems like. And there's this temptation I'll go out, Lord, and I'll be this person you're calling me to be, but I know what they're going to say. I know how they're going to respond. It's a challenge. There's few there are who really seem to care. And so I think it'd just be best for me to say and do nothing. I would encourage you to go to, I think it's all three chapters, Ezekiel's 1, 2, and 3. And God says to Ezekiel, he says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and speak to these people, and I want you to tell them what I'm telling you to tell them, but you need to know up front, they don't going to listen. They're not going to listen. They don't care to listen. They're stiff-necked. They're rebellious and they're not going to pay attention what you want to hear, what you want, what I want you to say. But I want you to go anyway and tell them so that they will know a prophet has been among them. It's true. You go out there. There's a lot who don't care. There's a lot who aren't interested. Our call is to speak anyway because that's what God wants us to do and you'd be surprised those who respond if we did. Melt my heart. I don't want to do this just because the preacher said I'm supposed to do it. God, I want my heart to melt. I want to feel compassion. And I'll never forget how God answered this prayer for me to a point of extreme embarrassment, it feels like. I was walking, and her name before Bella and Theo, I used to have Molly in the Czech Republic. I remember walking on the sidewalk and I had just been reading through um, the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah and I said, God, I want to cry like Jeremiah cried. I want to weep. I, I want to wake up burdened over the people of this city and I want to hurt. I want my heart to melt. And he answered that prayer. Did you notice I started crying earlier? It could happen all the time. now. I'm not even talking about Christian things and I'll start crying. God is like changed my heart in many ways God melt my heart and then fill my life now it doesn't say with what but we're going to see in this scripture in chapter 2 and verse 4 we read all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak as the Spirit enabled them give me one soul today that's huge that's huge because, listen, I say to you, our mission is to make disciples of all nations. How many people are in the nations? Seven billion plus. And I can't wrap my brain around that. 
So I just do nothing. But the goal in the prayer isn't go out and eat and reach seven billion. The goal in the prayer is give me one soul today. What would it be like if each of us reached one person for Jesus this year? I wonder what would happen. I wonder what could happen if each of us devoted ourselves to praying this song in prayer every day this year. I want to challenge you to do that. And I want to ask you to get a bulletin or pick one up on your way out and cut out that prayer. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day. It should be in your Bible because you should be seeing your Bibles every day. And pray that prayer to God. Let's stand together. Let's pray it. And if you have a particular need in your life to come to God for prayer, then I'm going to ask our shepherds to be available. And if you say, you know what, Eddie, I'm one of those souls. And I'd like to talk to you about Jesus today. I'll be standing over here. Let's pray together.